With continual development in technology, hackers and cyber criminals are getting better and better at installing viruses and hacking your electronic devices. We've all had antivirus software, but your run-of-the-mill software just isn't good enough anymore. With Surfshark Antivirus, not only will you have antivirus scans and real-time virus protection, but you'll also have access to a VPN. You'll be protected from targeted ads and tracking. You'll be notified if your data gets leaked by data brokers. And most importantly, it's incredibly easy to set up and use. If you feel like your online protection should be better, use the link in the description and episode notes to get 76% off Surfshark Antivirus today and feel safe every day on your devices. I live in Europe, and it's incredibly easy to travel here. By bus, train, or plane, I can be in any other European country in a matter of hours, for pretty cheap. But while I'm in other countries, I still want to check my emails, check my YouTube analytics, and all that fun stuff. Well, by using Surfshark VPN, I changed my location to France using one of their 3,200 plus servers, and I'm no longer annoyed by thousands of emails from Google freaking out saying, Oh my god, there's a computer in Spain trying to hack you! There isn't Google. It's me. And thanks to Surfshark, I'm no longer bothered by these annoying messages. Use the link in the description or episode notes to get Surfshark VPN today for as little as $2.30 per month on a two-year plan, and log into all your accounts anywhere with zero hassle and no annoying emails. Hello, and welcome to the Essential Reads podcast. I'm Isaac, and my goal is to bring to you a bunch of audiobooks from your favourite classic authors such as Orson Welles, Robert Louis Stevenson, John Steinbeck, and many more. Come join me on this journey to help get these books to the masses in an easy, accessible way. Let's start. Lights flickered on, and house doors opened all down the street to watch the carnival set up. Montag and Beatty stared, one with dry satisfaction, the other with disbelief at the house before them. This main ring in which torches would be juggled and fire eaten. Well, said Beatty, now you did it. Old Montag wanted to fly too near the sun, and now that he's burnt his damn wings, he wonders why. Didn't I hit enough when I sent the hound near your place? Montag's face was entirely numb and featureless. He felt his head turn like a stone carving to the dark place next door, set in its bright border of flowers. Beatty snorted. <laughs> oh, no. You weren't fooled by that little idiot's routine now, were you? Flowers, butterflies, leaves, sunsets. Oh, hell. It's all in her file. I'll be damned. I've hit the bullseye. Look at the sick look on your face. A few grass blades in the quarters of the moon, what trash! What good did she ever do with all that? Montag sat on the cold fender of the dragon, moving his head half an inch to the left, half an inch to the right, left, right, left, right, left. She saw everything. She didn't do anything to anyone. She just let them alone. Alone hell. She chewed you around, didn't she? One of those damn do-gooders, with all their shocked holier-than-thou silences. Their one talent making others feel guilty. God damn, they rise like the midnight sun to sweat you in your bed. The front door opened. Mildred came down the steps, running, one suitcase held with the dreamlike clenching rigidity in her fist as a beetle taxi hissed to the curb.
Mildred. She ran past, her body stiff, her face flowered with powder, her mouth gone, without lipstick. Mildred, you didn't put the alarm. She shoved the valise in the waiting beetle, climbed in, and sat, mumbling. Poor family, poor family, everything gone, everything, everything gone now. Beatty grabbed Montag's shoulder as the beetle blasted away and hit 70 miles an hour far down the street. Gone. There was a crash, like the falling parts of a dream fashioned out of warped glass, mirrors and crystal prisms. Montag drifted about, as if still another incomprehensible storm had turned him, to see Stone Man and Black wielding axes, shattering window panes to provide cross-ventilations. The brush of a death's head moth against a cold black screen. Montag? Montag, this is Faber. Do you hear me? What's happening? This is happening to me, said Montag. What a dreadful surprise, said Beatty, for everybody knows nowadays, absolutely is certain, that nothing will ever happen to me. Others die. I go on. There are no consequences and no responsibilities, except that there are. But let's not talk about them, eh? By the time the consequences catch up with you, it's too late. Isn't it, Montag? Montag, can you get away? Run? asked Faber. Montag walked, but he did not feel his feet touch the cement and then the night grasses. Beatty flicked his igniter nearby, and the small orange flame drew his fascinated gaze. What is there about fire that's so lovely? No matter what age we are, what draws us to it? Beatty blew out the flame and lit it again. It's perpetual motion. The thing man wanted to invent but never did. Or almost perpetual motion. If you let it go on, it'll burn our lifetimes out. What is fire? It's a mystery. Scientists give us gobbledygook about friction and molecules, but they don't really know. Its real beauty is that it destroys responsibility and consequences. A problem gets too burdensome, then into the furnace with it. Now Montag, you're a burden, and fire will lift you off my shoulders, clean, quick, sure. Nothing to rot later. Antibiotic, aesthetic, practical. Montag stood, looking in now at this queer house, made strange by the hour of the night, by murmuring neighbors' voices, by littered glass. And there on the floor, their covers torn off and spilled out like swan feathers, the incredible books that looked so silly and really not worth bothering with, for these were nothing but black type and yellowed paper and raveled binding. Mildred, of course. She must have watched him hide the books in the garden and brought them back in. Mildred. Mildred. I want you to do this job all by your lonesome, Montag. Not with kerosene and a match, but piecework with a flamethrower. Your house, your cleanup. Montag, can't you run? Get away! No! cried Montag helplessly. The hound! Because of the hound! Faber heard. And Beatty, thinking it was meant for him, heard. Yes, the hound's somewhere about the neighborhood. So don't try anything. Ready? 
Montag snatched the safety catch on the flamethrower. Fire! A great nuzzling gout of fire leapt out to lap at the books and knock them against the wall. He stepped into the bedroom and fired twice, and the twin beds went up in a great simmering whisper. With more heat and passion and light than he would have supposed them to contain. He burnt the bedroom walls and the cosmetics chest because he wanted to change everything. The chairs, the tables, and the dining room, the silverware and plastic dishes, everything that showed that he had lived here, in this empty house with a strange woman who would forget him tomorrow, who had gone and quite forgotten him already, listening to her seashell radio pour in on her and in on her as she rode across town, alone. And as before, it was good to burn. He felt himself gush out in the fire, snatch, rend, rip in half with flame, and put away the senseless problem. If there was no solution, well then now there was no problem either. Fire was best for everything. The books, Montag! The books leapt and danced like roasted birds, their wings ablaze with red and yellow feathers. And then he came to the parlour where the great idiot monsters lay asleep with their white thoughts and their snowy dreams, and he shot a bolt at each of the three blank walls, and the vacuum hissed out at him. The emptiness made an even emptier whistle, a senseless scream. He tried to think about the vacuum upon which nothingness had performed, but he could not. He held his breath so the vacuum could not get into his lungs. He cut off its terrible emptiness, drew back, and gave the entire room a gift of one huge bright yellow flower of burning. The fireproof plastic sheath on everything was cut wide, and the house began to shudder with flame. When you're quite finished, said Beatty behind him, you're under arrest. The house fell in red coals and black ash. It bedded itself down in sleepy pink-grey cinders, and a smoke plume blew over it, rising and waving slowly back and forth in the sky. It was 3.30 in the morning. The crowd drew back into the houses. The great tents of the circus had slumped into charcoal and rubble, and the show was well over. Montag stood with the flamethrower in his limp hands, great islands of perspiration drenching his armpits, his face smeared with soot. The other firemen waited behind him, in the darkness, their faces illuminated faintly by the smouldering foundation. Montag started to speak twice, and then finally managed to put his thoughts together. Was it my wife that turned in the alarm? Beatty nodded but her friends turned in an alarm earlier. I let that ride. One way or the other, you'd have got it. It was pretty silly quoting poetry around, free and easy like that. It was the act of a silly, damned snob. Give a man a few lines of verse, and he thinks he's the lord of all creation. You think you can walk on water with your books? Well, the world can get by just fine without them. Look where they got you in slime up to your lip. If I stir the slime with my little finger, it'll drown. Montag could not move. A great earthquake had come with fire and leveled the house, 
and Mildred was under there somewhere, and his entire life under there, and he could not move. The earthquake was still shaking, and falling and shivering inside him, and he stood there, his knees half-bent under the great load of tiredness and bewilderment and outrage, letting Beatty hit him without raising a hand. Montag, you idiot! Montag, you damn fool! Why did you really do it? Montag did not hear. He was far away. He was running with his mind. He was gone, leaving this dead, soot-covered body to sway in front of another raving fool. Montag, get out of there, said Faber. Montag listened. Beatty struck him a blow on the head that sent him reeling back. The green bullet in which Faber's voice whispered and cried fell to the sidewalk. Beatty snatched it up, grinning. He held it, half in, half out of his ear. Montag heard the distant voice calling, Montag, you all right? Beatty switched the green bullet off and thrust it in his pocket. Well, so there's more here than I thought. I saw your head tilt back, listening. First I thought you had a seashell, but then you turned clever later, I wondered. We'll trace this and drop in on your friend. No, said Montag. He twitched the safety catch on his flamethrower. Beatty glanced instantly at Montag's fingers, and his eyes widened the faintest bit. Montag saw the surprise there, and glanced to his hands to see the new thing they had done. Thinking back later, he could never decide whether the hands, or Beatty's reactions to the hands, gave him the final push towards murder. The last rolling thunder of the avalanche stoned down about his ears, not touching him. Beatty grinned his most charming grin. Well, that's one way to get an audience. Hold a gun at a man and force him to listen to your speech. Speech away. What'll it be this time? Why don't you belch Shakespeare at me, you fumbling snob? There is no terror, Cassius, in your threats. For I am armed so strong in honesty that they pass by me as an idle wind which I respect not. How's that? Go ahead now, you second-hand litterer. Pull the trigger. He took one step toward Montag. Montag only said, We never burned right. Hand it over, guy, said Beatty with a fixed smile. And then he was a shrieking blaze. A jumping, sprawling, gibbering mannequin, no longer human or known, all withering flame on the lawn as Montag shot one continuous pulse of liquid fire on him. There was a hiss, like a great mouthful of spittle banging a red-hot stove, a bubbling and frothing, as if salt had been poured over a monstrous black snail to cause a terrible liquefaction and a boiling over of yellow foam. Montag shut his eyes, shouted, shouted, and fought to get his hands at his ears to clamp away the sound. Beatty flopped over and over and over, and at last twisted in on himself like a charred wax doll and lay silent. The other two firemen did not move. Montag kept his sickness down long enough to aim the flamethrower. Turn around! Turn around! They turned, their faces like blanched meat, streaming sweat. He beat their heads, knocking off their helmets and bringing them down on themselves. They lay flat, without moving. The blowing wind of a single autumn leaf 
He turned, and the mechanical hound was there. It was half across the lawn, coming from the shadows, moving with such drifting ease that it was like a single solid cloud of black grey smoke blown at him in silence. It made a single last leap into the air, coming down at Montag from a good three feet over his head, its spidered legs reaching, the procaine needle snapping out its single angry tooth. Montag caught it with a bloom of fire, a single wondrous blossom that curled in petals of yellow and blue and orange about the metal dog, clad it in a new covering as it slammed into Montag and threw him ten feet back against the bowl of a tree, taking the flame gun with him. He felt it scrabble and seize his leg and stab the needle in for a moment before the fire snapped the hound up in the air, burst its metal bones at the joint and blew out its interior in a single flushing of red colour like a skyrocket fastened to the street. Montag lay, watching the dead alive thing fiddle in the air and die. Even now, it seemed to want to get back at him and finish the injection which was now working through the flesh of his leg. He felt all of the mingled relief and horror at having pulled back just in time to have his knee slammed by the fender of a car hurtling at 90 miles an hour. He was afraid to get up, afraid he might not be able to gain his feet at all with an anesthetized leg. A numbness. A numbness in a numbness, hollowed into a numbness. And now? The street? Empty. The house? Burnt, like an ancient bit of stage scenery. The other homes? Dark. The hound? Here. Beatty? There. The three other firemen? another place, and the salamander, he gazed at the immense engine. That would have to go too. Well, he thought, let's see how badly off you are. On your feet now. Easy. Easy. There. He stood, and he had only one leg. The other was like a chunk of burnt pine log he was carrying along as penance for some obscure sin. When he put his weight on it, a shower of silver needles gushed up the length of the calf and went off in the knee. He wept. Come on, come on. You, you can't stay here. A few house lights were going on again down the street, whether from the incidents just passed or because of the abnormal silence following the fight, Montag did not know. He hobbled around the ruins, seizing at his bad leg when it lagged talking and whimpering and shouting directions at it and cursing it and pleading with it to work for him now when it was vital. He heard a number of people crying out in the darkness and shouting. When he reached the backyard and the alley, Beady, he thought. You're not a problem now. You always said, don't face a problem. Burn it. Well, now I've done both. Goodbye, Captain. And he stumbled along the alley in the dark. Thank you so very much for listening. If you enjoyed, please leave a review. And if you really want to support me, share this chapter with your friends, family, and whoever you feel would enjoy it. And if you really wish to support me, head to my Patreon. The link is in the episode notes. If you choose to follow the podcast, you'll have three new chapters per week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Once again, I thank you for listening. And until next time, bye-bye.